Well, happy new year. It's so funny, like I'm, 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 I've been in the US, what, with a gap in the middle for 10 years. Uh, I'm still not used to talking about the ball dropping. And uh, in, in Scotland, we talk about the, like, staying up for the bells, because all the church bells over the country typically ring, Big Ben chimes, cannons fire off Edinburgh Castle, and then here, there's a big glowing orb slowly descends. It's just such a letdown. Um, <clears throat> it would be more fun if they would take that ball and fire that one out of a cannon, uh, and, and now we can start the party. Um, out of curiosity, is anyone in here in the habit of making New Year's resolutions? Anyone made any? There's a couple of little, little handy things. I, I gave up on that a while ago. Uh, I, I adopted a habit that you've probably heard. Uh, it, it's been around for a while. I like to try and adopt one word for the year. So, if what's the what, like, so at the end of the, the last year, I, I start asking God, like, what's one word? Like, if I could focus on one thing for the next year, what's the one word that you'd have me focus on? And this, this year was really easy. The word that God gave me was play. And I think that applies to me individually. I think it applies to us as a church. We saw a little bit of it this year with the rise in the park. We got out, we played a little. And it had a big impact on us. So I want to be someone this year that, that engages in play. So we bought a lot of games for Christmas. We've, uh, Daniel's been over a lot playing games with us. Um, so, so that's my goal for this year. But for fun, here's I want to start. I've got a few memes that I want to stick up on the board just to get us in the frame for the new year. Because I said we'd play, right? So first one uh, about New Year's resolutions. I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer the term casual promises to myself that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill. Uh, second one, dear New Year's resolution, while well, it was fun while it lasted, sincerely, January 2nd. Um, this one's a nice blessing. We just did that series called Blessings, so here's a nice blessing for you. May all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. <laughs> and then what is perhaps my favorite image of them all, this one, <laughs> says, this year I resolved to drink less and go to the gym while well, I made it to the gym. Looks a little bit like Trudy. I don't know. I'm like, I'm, who's, I'm like, who's the closest person in the church? That's I was like the hair color. Uh, so, <clears throat> you know, a lot, a lot can change in a year. Um, <laughs> Kim says it looks more like me. Uh, <laughs> a lot can change in a year, right? So some of us sitting here, <clears throat> there are people in the room today who this time last year weren't walking with Jesus. That's exciting. Um, some people in the room have made significant job changes or geographical relocations. Uh, there are some people that were going to be in the room that are now engaged. <clears throat> some of your jobs changed, some lost loved ones, some of you found a new church in the last year. When I think about what changed in our church over the last year, uh, this time last year we did our first 24-7 prayer room. Uh, in September, we changed our name. Uh, we met in the park over the summer and had a lot of fun together. We've grown in size. We've brought on new team members. A lot changes. Um, with New Year comes a fresh start. It's the thing we like about this time of year. In pre-service prayer, uh, Ruben was talking about, you know, we have these moments where we get super excited about what's happening. We feel all of this energy and it's like, oh, God's doing something. And then you realize, well, maybe it's not so much that God's speaking to me. It's just the energy of the new year. There's something about the new year and the fresh start that brings energy. 
You've got a new calendar that's blank, but it's full of potential. There are new relationships that you're going to develop this year that will form and flourish. There's new adventures that we get to go on, new places to visit, new experiences with God to be had, new understanding, a fresh revelation of who he is, and new opportunities to live out the calling that he has called you to. Um, As we look at 20... uh, 2023, our fears can turn to peace, our tears can be turned to joy, our mourning into dancing, our pain into progress, our mess becomes our message. I was struck as we were singing by the words of that song, um, you've called me deeper. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and never let you change me from the inside, but you have called me deeper. And you have called me higher, and so I'll go where you will lead me. So let me ask you a question as we start this year, January 1st. Do you have a vision for 2023? Do you have a vision for what this year could be? Do you have a vision for what your intimacy with Jesus might look like through this year? Do you have a vision? Um. There's not a lot of Bible passages that I like to go back to the King James Version for. The ones that I do usually are slightly inappropriate and hilarious when you read them like, surely he stinketh. Um, But Proverbs 29, 18 is a verse that's really, really, really well known. And in the King James, it simply says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I've put up some other translations that are more modern to understand the fullness of what that word vision means. Without revelation, the people run wild, but one who follows divine instruction will be happy. ESV, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the message. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The Bible is really clear in painting a picture of our need to have vision and revelation from God in order to direct our lives and lead us into that place of abundance. So I'll ask the question again, do you have a vision for 2023? Because without vision, people run wild. Without vision and not seeing what God is doing, we stumble all over ourselves. Without vision, uh, we cast off restraint and fail to walk in the way of the Lord. So do you have a vision for 2023? Part of resetting at the start of the year is is figuring out what the vision is that we're called to walk into. Someone said to me recently, my my spiritual director is always coming up with these powerful uh, statements and and he casually tosses things out of his mouth and I spend like weeks and months reflecting on them. But this is what he said to me recently. He says, God doesn't make a plan for us that we have to spend all our time trying to figure out what it is. He gives us a vision to pursue and leaves the rest up to us. So God didn't create a plan and has every detail of your life worked out, what you're supposed to do in this time, who you're supposed to marry, where you're supposed to go to college, how to spend your retirement. And you've got to sit there agonizing over, can I find the intimate details of what it is that God wants me to do so that I can make sure I do it right? Instead, he paints a vision and a picture of the kind of life that he wants us to live and then leaves us to go into the context that he's placed us with the passions and hungers he's given us and leaves us up to us uh, to, to live that out. When it comes to vision and when it comes to plan, most of us know Jeremiah 29, 11, right? 
for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Um, I want to look at this verse in a little more detail, the passage around it. I'm not going to explain it much, but what I want you to do is we're going to read this, look at the context, and I want you to notice God doesn't give the people a plan. He gives them a vision and calls them to live into it. So this is Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to read from verse 4. So this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's not a plan, it's a vision. Go to the place, settle down, buy a house, have kids, raise a family, seek the prosperity of the city, and in the middle of all of it, seek me. And there's a promise that if we seek him, we will find him when we do it with all of our heart. God gives the people of Israel, taken to a foreign land, a vision for the kind of life that they're supposed to to live. And that life ultimately rests in seeking him with all of our heart in the context where we find ourselves in this moment. If part of a reset at the start of the year is to have a vision for 2023, I'm going to use a quote from one of my favorite people on the planet. It's not me. Uh, (laughs) This, the vision is Jesus. 24-7, it's an inception. A prayer room was started in 1999 in the south of London. Pete Gregg, they didn't know it, people didn't know it at the time when they started sharing it, but Pete Gregg in this prayer room scrawled this big poem on the, vo- on the wall that came to be known as the vision. And this is how it starts. What's the vision? The vision is Jesus obsessively, dangerously, and undeniably Jesus. So when I ask a question like, what's your vision for 2023? If you're part of our church, the answer should be the vision is Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I want to look more like Jesus. I want to act more like Jesus. I want to hear more from Jesus. I want to live more in the way of Jesus. I want to do it obsessively and dangerously and undeniably. I want to hear people calling you obsessive because of how much time at work on your breaks you spend studying scripture. I want to hear people say that you're obsessive because you can't shut up about what Jesus is doing in your life and how he's speaking to you and what he's inviting you into. I want us to live dangerously for Jesus. We have to take risks, right? The song said, I can be safe. I can just stay right where I am but you've called me higher and risk involves danger. I want us to be people that walk in a vision of living dangerously for Jesus. And what might that look like for you? Danger for you might mean initiating a conversation with a stranger and saying, hi, my name's Scott. 
right? For some of us, that feels dangerous. For some of you, it's going to mean at some point in this year, there's, there's some things that we're planning, but, but for some of you, it's like, I've never left the country. I'm going to go on a mission trip to the far ends of the earth to do something that's super uncomfortable because I want Jesus, I want to look like Jesus, and I want to share him with the people around me. So when it comes to resolutions, resolve this year to become a bit closer to Jesus, Resolve this year to spend time learning more about him so that you can resolve to become a bit more like him. When Jesus lived on the earth, he lived with a vision, right? He came with an idea of what what he was to do. Did he know every detail of how it was going to go? Don't think so. But he knew that he came to live with his eyes fixed on the Father, walking in obedience to him to rescue humanity from their sin. Jesus, when he's teaching people, John's gospel says, some people ask him a question and Jesus answers. He says, truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father, the son also does. What's happening? Jesus has a vision to live his life imitating his father. What's the character of the father? He's compassionate. I'm going to have compassion on these people. He's generous. I'm going to give generously. He, he loves the unlovely. I'm going to spend time with the unlovely. He's undifferentiating in how he pours out grace over people. So I'm going to spend time with the religious elite and I'm going to spend time with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the homeless and the sick and the lepers. He did everything with his eyes fixed on the father. So Jesus' vision was fix my eyes on the father and do what he did. The vision that we're called to is fix our eyes on Jesus and do the things that he did. It's simple. What we're called to do to walk with vision. One of the ways that we see Jesus enacting his reset when he walked on the earth, he did lots of resetting. Jesus showed us what true humanity looks like. We look at Jesus and we see how we're supposed to be living without sin, uh, fully obedient to the Father, filled with the Spirit. We see it in the person of Jesus. We see the reset and the things that he taught, and we see it in a lot of the actions that he did. But one of the places where we see him do a reset the most powerfully is in the prophetic action uh, during his, his week in Jerusalem before his crucifixion when he cleanses the temple. It's a resetting moment. Let's read what it says in in Mark chapter 11 and watch Jesus do a reset. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He turned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. What's going on right now? Um, we don't, we don't always read this in its context as, as people living in, in this part of the world in this day and age. But if you remember, the temple is set up in sort of concentric, I was going to say circles, but it's rectangles. You've got the Holy of Holies in the middle where only the high priest can enter. A holy place around that where multiple priests can go in and there's some fire burning and some bread and a candlestick. And then when you come outside of that, you've got this outer temple where other people were able to, well, normal Jewish people could go in there. And, and then there's another square around that where the ordinary non-Jewish people were able to kind of come into the outer courts of the temple. So if you notice what's happening here, um, 
the outer courts, which are the part of the temple that are geared towards the non-Jewish people, is where people have set up a marketplace. So the only place a non-Jewish person can go to pray is the outer court, and that they arrive at the outer court, and instead of a quiet place to be able to engage the presence of the Lord, it's been turned into a bustling marketplace. So the Jewish people doing what they did so well that they were always being rebuked for, they made it all about them and their ethnicity and their nationality. So as long as we can get into our quiet place to pray, it doesn't matter what we do out there. And God is, in, God, God is enraged that they are, he, he wants this temple to be a, a place for all the nations and he's outraged that, that there are a group of people, a large group of people, many nationalities being discriminated against. So in one sense, Jesus is challenging the fact that there is a, a, a racial tension happening around the temple. Um, in another sense, he's annoyed that they've gone from a place of prayer and worship to a place of marketeering and selling and profiting. And these Jewish people who are making money at the expense of others, it's become a, a, a convenience so rather than bring my animal and parade it through the town so that people can see that this poor little lamb is going to be the sacrifice for my sin. Instead, I can just walk in through the doors, look like I'm coming to worship. I can buy the lamb when I'm there and no one needs to know that I'm coming to atone for my sins. But in this, in the reset, what is the language he uses to describe how to reset what's going on in his house? My house will be called a house of prayer. And I'm a fairly simple person. You've probably realized that. When I think of my job as a pastor and when I think of who we're supposed to be as a church, I think of these words. My house will be called a house of prayer. This is how we come to fulfill the Great Commission. We fulfill the commission to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations by first of all becoming a house of prayer that fixes our eyes on him, that learns to listen to his voice and learns to walk out into the world in obedience to the call of God. Without being a people of prayer, we make no disciples. And, and I, I would go as far as to say, if you look over this last year of your life and you ask yourself the question, how many disciples did I make? So there's lots of ways you can look at this. One, how many people did I lead to Jesus? And another one, like how many people did I mentor or invest in and help them walk in the relationship with God? I would argue that the answer to that question actually exposes the extent of your life in prayer. And if you are spending a lot of time in prayer and it's not resulting in the action of fulfilling the Great Commission, something is wrong with how you're viewing prayer and something is wrong with how you're engaging what God is asking us to do that's preventing you from walking out into the world in the way that he's called us to be. The church is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. When I think through, like, what, what are we doing here with this church in this neighborhood? Like, one of the ways we could word the mission of our church is that Arise Church is a house of prayer for all nations here in Hillsborough on Bentley Street. This is the goal. And what are you doing and what are we doing to help make this a place of prayer, a house of prayer that sends us out into the world around us? Jesus, when he makes this statement, is quoting Isaiah 56. I want to do a similar thing to what I did with Jeremiah 29. I want us to jump into Isaiah 56 and just read the context of this statement. 
And I want us to do the same thing. Notice it's a vision that is being given to the people of Israel for the kind of life that they should, should be, be living. So as Jesus quotes this passage, he's drawing them back to the vision of who they're supposed to be. So this is Isaiah 56, starting in verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. There's some people in the room that should get you really excited. The day is close at hand. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who's bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let me just pause a minute. If you're in this room and you're not Jewish, this is talking about you. So just remember, this is the invitation to us. So let no foreigner, all of you sitting in church today, who's bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. That would be an interesting biblical insult. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. What a promise. Right? For those of us today that are the foreigners who choose to commit to him within this temple that he's created, and we know that it points ahead to the temple that is the church and points ahead to what happens in Revelation. But we're given this memorial and a name that makes us better than just a son or daughter, but we're more co-heirs and co-regents and co-rulers who participate in, in, in the presence and, and relationship with God. It keeps going on. I will give those people an everlasting name that will endure forever. Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servant. All who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations, justice in place of injustice, righteous living and absence of evil doing, loving God, ministering to him, serving him, delighting in his name. The vision that he gives all wrapped around this phrase, my house will be a house of prayer. So when I think about this year, when I think about continuing to lean into who God wants us to be as a church, when I think about my life and each of you individually and what God might be calling us into over this year, that's what I want. I want this church to be a house of prayer. I want each of you to be a walking house of prayer where justice supersedes injustice, where Evil living is gone and righteous living takes its place where you delight in the name of the Lord and commit to ministering to him and serving him, offering sacrifices to him as we become the living temple, housing him, that we become walking houses of prayer as we move out into the world. My house will be called a house of prayer. The vision is Jesus and if we ever want a good example of what it looks like to be a living house of prayer, that man is the example. Everything he did was walking through the world, listening for the voice of his father, following his example as he walked in the world. Everything he did as he touched those people to heal them, as he spent time with sinners over meals, as he 
rebuked the religious establishment. All of that was done because he was walking in a posture that was open and receptive to the voice of God. All of that was done because, lucky for him, he was raised in a culture where they were steeped in Torah. They were raised in the Word of God. They memorized it from childhood. It was written on doorposts. It was stuck on things to their body. Uh, They had the ritual of going to the temple. Family prayers where the words would be read. He was steeped in the Word. He understood the vision. He knew the voice of his father. He understood his vision. And he walked as a living prayer room out into the world. Uh, And we see the impact of it. We're 2,022-ish years later. Uh, and, and we see the continual impact of thousands of people saved. The church, the, the biggest donor of financial resources to the world. Uh, all because Jesus understood the vision of being a person and a house of prayer. We want to be a house of prayer for all nations. One of the ways that we do this, you've already, Daniel's already talked about it, is 24-7 prayer. And so I want to give some uh, revisioning about why we do this. Some people, uh, you've not been here when we've done 24-7 prayer so far, but I want to explain, as we seek to become a people of prayer, this prayer room is just one of the many ways that we do this. And this is not a handful of people praying on behalf of the church. This is us corporately saying, as part of this church, I'm entering into the vision that we want to be people of prayer, and I'm going to play my part to participate in this. So what we do for 24-7 prayer, if you haven't seen it, behind those secret doors is a secret room. Um, You're allowed to peek in it, but only once. No. Um, Open the doors. Go have a little look. It's a room that is set apart and designed to help facilitate prayer. And why do we do this? There's a few different reasons. One, that the environment of a place is, transform- is transformed when it's set apart for prayer. Um, if you've been around me any length of time, you've heard me say this, in Celtic spirituality, I'm Scottish, so you go back home, we're steeped in Celtic spirituality. One of, there's lots that I hate about Celtic spirituality, but one of the things that I love is the language of thin places. And so within Celtic spirituality, they, like, the, the Greco-Roman view of heaven and hell is like, uh, or earth is here and heaven is like up there in the clouds. And we have all of these medieval paintings of people leaving the earth and floating up to a cloud with their little harp and their little angel wings somewhere out there. Um, the Bible paints a picture of heaven and earth being intersected. Um, and, and so within Celtic spirituality, they say heaven and earth are intersected. And so there are places on the earth where the barrier between heaven and earth feels really thick. And so you walk in there and you can't sense the presence of God. It's just, we use the word in this culture, dark. This place just feels dark and oppressive. But there are places in the world where that veil thins and you sense God in a different way and he becomes closer. And within Celtic spirituality, and I believe very strongly in prayer, when you set apart a place to engage with God, the process of regularly encountering him in the same place in prayer thins the veil to make it easier to access his presence. And it's one of the things that I've seen time and time again when you set apart a prayer room like this and we do continuous night and day prayer because uh, one of my favorite things in administering prayer rooms is during the day you jump in, oh, we need more mints, oh, we're we're out of communion, oh, we've got to tidy this up, oh, we're out of paper over here, so you've got to empty the trash. So you're running in and out and, and so you meet the people as they're coming in and out of the prayer room. 
And the number of times I hear people say to me, like big burly dudes that don't care about Jesus in the slightest, they're like, there's something different about that room. Like I went in there and I just felt peaceful. Um, I've seen people walk into that room, not believers, go in there and come out saying, I had an experience of something and I don't know what it is, and then give their life to Jesus over the course of the coming weeks and months because something happened in that space. So one of the reasons we do this is we're setting apart space and the process of every person going in there uh, to pray thins that veil so that people that don't know Jesus or haven't encountered him well through your sacrifice and your service will encounter him in a different way through the work of thinning the veil in that place. Another part that I love about 24-7 prayer is there, there are, this gathering on a Sunday for church is one of the ways that we come in a corporate expression of a church. We come together and we walk together in what God has called us to do. But something like this is another way that we buy in together to the vision of our church. So my dream is always that every single person that calls this church their home would find an hour to be in that room over the course of the week. That's always the dream. Um, because I think even if you have a space at home that you like to pray, there's something special about being in the room where you can write prayer requests on the wall, where you can see the cries of the hearts of the people of the church. Um, I always think it's fun to sign up at the beginning of the week and then sign up again closer to the end of the week and see the way the room transforms as people write and draw and, and the walls get filled. Um, and so this is one of these moments where we get to buy into corporate unity and say, I'm part of this. I want to be this, this house of prayer and I want to play my, my part uh, in making this work. And the, the last part of all of that is just the simple fact of we say all the time that I, I, I'm going to make time to work on this thing that God's been talking to me about. I hear this all the time. You know, I feel like God's asking me to be more forgiving and I'm going to take some time to work on that. No, you're not, right? (laughs) Who wants to learn to be more forgiving, right? Who wants to get rid of their bitterness? None of us want to do that hard work. So so with 24-7 prayer, what we're doing is we're creating space where you can go in and, and all those things that you've been storing up that God has been working on you in over the last year you get to go in and there's space set aside for you to do that work it's a place of encounter Uh, we are transformed when we come in prayer Um, and so I would encourage you can bring kids Uh, a one hour slot is never enough in my opinion um, if you, we, we've redone a lot of the stations, so everything's going to look a bit different. If you just walk in the door and go around all the activities we're going to have, that's going to take an hour and you probably won't get through them all. Um, so usually if you have some things that you want to work on yourself, some journaling you want to do, some Bible reading you want to engage, I would encourage you to sign up for more than one hour in order to experience it all. But I have a promise for you. If you go in there, God will meet with you. Now, that room is not special, right? God is not confined to that room. Uh, You can have deep special encounters with them sitting in your living room chair with your Bible open. You can have a deep encounter with God sitting at a pub with a friend. You can have a deep encounter with God on the commute, on the way to work. It's not that room. But what that room is, is a decision to come together in corporate expression of what it means to be a house of prayer. So we're here to reset 
If you want to get a spot, there's sign-up sheets uh, opposite the tea and coffee. Go sign up. You can uh, get it online. We will arise.org forward slash 24-7 sign up. But this is, this is the deal. We need a vision for 2023. You need a vision for your life for 2023. We need a vision as a church for 2023. So here's the vision. Let's become a house of prayer. Make a commitment that you will become a walking, living house of prayer this year. Make a commitment that your home will become a house of prayer for all nations. And that means both what you pray for in your house and who you seek out to invite in through your doors. Not just a house of prayer, but a house of prayer for all the nations. So just like I started, resolve to be a bit more like Jesus this year. Resolve to read about him. Commit yourself to studying him and understanding who he is. Resolve to surrender more of your life to him. Just one more little bit of ground given to him this year. And through it all, resolve to be a person of prayer. A couple of things there's the prayer room. I just want to plug a couple other things. Tuesday, 4 p.m., it's, it's not conducive to your normal work day, but if you're free on a Tuesday at 4 p.m., there's a group of people meet in the nursery to pray through the prayer requests that you submit on the Connect card every week as we become a house of prayer. That is part of how we engage it is that prayer meeting. Um, we do pre-service prayer here, 9 to, to so 9.40 uh, on a Sunday morning. So for me, church starts at 9 When you come at 10, you're late. (laughs) But we gather together to intercede for the church and intercede for the community. And again, my dream is always, like I I long to see a day where every single person that calls this church their home gathers at nine to cry out to God on behalf of our city together, to cry out to God on behalf of our church together, to cry out to God on behalf of one another together. And through that process, to learn how to intercede, to learn to be more the person that he's called us to be. So whether it's Tuesday at 4 p.m., whether it's Sunday at 9 a.m., whether it's in the prayer room or whether it's on your commute, on the way to a friend's house, let's commit to reset this year to make the vision about Jesus and to become a house of prayer together. Let me pray. God, the beautiful thing about this life that you invite us to is it's so simple. Uh, And yet in our own uh, heads and our own ability, it's so hard. God, it's easy to say, let the vision be Jesus, when there's so many other images that the world throws at us that are more exciting and enticing. God, it's much easier to binge watch a series of TV shows on Netflix over the course of an evening than it is to spend 20 minutes reading your word. God, it's much easier to get together with a friend and complain about the world and complain about the day than it is uh, to get together in prayer and cry out on behalf of the world. God, we gather through the week in small groups and we'll study the Bible and we'll discuss theology. And God, sometimes I wonder what would happen if we just spent the hour on our faces in silence before you, repenting of our brokenness and asking you to move on our behalf. Um, God, some of us are trying to figure out what relationships look like. Some of us are trying to figure out what our career looks like. Some of us are trying to figure out how we find the right fit in this season of life. 
Some of us are looking at retirement thinking all that hard work is done and I would get to sit back and relax. And some of us are having anxiety around what I do with this free time that I have. God, the vision is you. So would you help us to catch the vision and then to live it out in the context where we are. Lord, that we would be in love with you as we sit with our family, that we'd be in love with you as we do our work, that we'd be in love with you as we walk down the street or grocery shopping, engage the clerk. And God, if we could be a house of prayer, how the city would be changed. Lord, if we could be a house of prayer for the nations, how many people would be sent to the ends of the earth to do the work that you're calling us to do? So God, as we start the year, we ask that you would reset our hearts. God, would you bring Jesus back to the center? And would you cut through all the frenetic activity to make our pursuit of you on our knees, the core? So God, thank you that you're at work. Would you bless this year? Would you follow you into it in Jesus' name?